Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. This week, I speak with a legend, although he would probably disagree with me for saying that. Michael Girard of Swans freezes his butt off to join me this week. And we discuss a lot of stuff. He's not one for looking back, but he did open up about running away and being sent to an Israeli prison as a teen, finding his way to New York to be a part of the no-wave scene, and a Swans guitarist who's been missing since the mid-80s. He tells me a lot about who plays on the new Swans album, Leaving Meaning, and he gives us some great insight into the recording process. We pack a lot into a shorter episode, including what the next tour will look like and sound like. Follow Swans on social media to learn about tour dates. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Merchandise can be found at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now let's chat with Michael Girard of Swans. This is Michael Girard. I am of the musical group Swans. And you are listening to Performance Anxiety. You, you, you cut out again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try going outside. I might have better reception. Problem is, I have bad uh, internet here. I'm going to go outside. It's a bit cold, but I'll just bundle up. I'll, okay. be right, I'll call you right back. Okay, thank you. Oh, well, I appreciate it, if, if that means anything. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I... I I'll try not to keep you out in the cold for very long. So, Okay. Phil, thank you for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. My pleasure. Especially since now you're out in the cold for me. That, that, that means a ton. Well, I'll get some exercise. I'm pacing. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I want to know a little bit about the, the history of, of, of you and, and, getting, and starting the band and, and how you got to where you are. So the first thing I wanted to know a little bit about is... When did you start playing music? Is that something that you, you did as a kid? Were you in school bands? Did you have a house full of music? Oh, no. Not at all. Uh, I started out with the presumption that I would be an artist from a very young age, a visual artist. Okay. And uh, I grew constantly. I went to art school. And uh, around 77, I guess, 1977, when I was in art school, 78 maybe, no, 77, um, punk rock happened. And to me, it just, I was going to those gigs all the time. I was instantly sucked in by it and loved it. Um, it just seemed, music just seemed the kind of more immediate, visceral kind of way to make something happen right. than being involved in what I do to an elitist art world, which uh, once I had been in art school school for a while, I realized I didn't really belong in the art world as a person, <laughs> maybe as an artist. But and I just gravitated towards punk, and I, and I made some very mad bad music for a while, <laughs> uh, and then gradually found my sonic voice and found people to work with, of course, who helped contribute to the sound. And started my, uh, well, I started a, um, a band in L.A., which broke up, but then I moved to New York City and started a band, which broke up. And then finally I started Swans in about 1982. Right. And uh, found my sonic voice uh, with the help of other people as well, of course.
Now, those early albums are really heavy, very intense. And I know in, in doing some research on you, you spent, uh, you, you ran away as a child uh, when you, you got in trouble in California. Your dad took you to Europe. You ran away and you ended up spending your 16th birthday, I believe, in an adult jail in Jerusalem. Yes, sir. Did that? If, and then I went. And then, I, then I went to prison in Israel too. After jail, what was but only for a short time? Was um, I get this weird I was in, image of like of it being like almost like a Turkish prison kind of a thing? Like really, like no, frightening. It, it, it was definitely not pleasant. And I was a blue-eyed, blonde-haired boy. I was fifteen. Yeah. Uh, so you can imagine what that was like for me. But I, um, it it was not. Um, it was not like, uh, what's that movie? Um, I forget, there's oh. that movie in the jail. And, uh, Midnight? Uh, but yeah, it was not like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Israel's, well, it was definitely not pleasant, but uh, it was more civilized than that, right? Put it that way. But uh, in any event, uh, I don't, that just, you know, I guess my entire life experience relates to how I would approach music and art and sound, but um, it's not as if someone sits down with an instrument and starts uh, working out how to make a song or a piece of music happen, and they say, oh, this, I'm so angry about being in jail when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> make a piece of music. It's, it's not like that. So I, I can't really recall all the sources that fed into that early music. Okay. I would just say that it felt right. It felt good in a certain way, and it felt necessary. Okay. So that's the sound we made. So were you, around this time, when you were a teenager, were you picking up the guitar and, and learning to play the guitar then, or did that happen when... No, that happened, that happened uh, much later. I, I didn't uh, oh, okay. start trying to work with... Uh, playing any instrument at all until New York after my first band. And then I, uh, this great composer named, uh, Reese Chatham gave me a bass. Oh, I love Reese Chatham. To play on, yeah. He wanted me to play on one of his pieces and he said, here, he just showed me how to tune. He said, here, you just do this. And I did it and I kept his bass <laughs> and, uh, and then started figuring out how to make shit happen with the bass. And then, you know, of course I had other musicians around to, um, we hash things back and forth and made a sound that felt right. I've I've had a couple of people who uh, played with Reese on uh, uh, Robert Poss was on recently. Um, Karen Hagloff. So I, I love Reese's music. So I can definitely well, hear. I, I haven't I haven't listened to it in years, but Reese was a, always a true gentleman, a very sweet person. That's how I remember him. Reese is more of like uh, is doesn't compose traditional types of music, you know, uh, four hundred music for four hundred guitars and things like that. It, yeah. Is music like that a big influence on what what you've done, the music you made in the past, as well as well, music it, now? There was again. I mean, I wouldn't say that we ever sat down to make music and said, "Well, here's our influences. Now we're going to make this song." Okay. Uh, I would say that there were certain icons that that I would have held up as sort of the apogee of what's possible. And they're very, they would have been the Stooges in the early days. Oh, okay. Um, and certainly um, also uh, Glenn Branca 
uh, I played in one of his symphonies, uh, Symphony Number no. Three, I believe it was. Oh, cool! And uh, just watching him work and the way that this a true genius, the, the way that he gathered all these disparate forces together and made this music that was just uh, transformative and just this music that was just ecstatic. That was a, a kind of a uh, inspiration, and not to sound like him, but to be able to reach those heights. Right. And another big influence in the early days would have been suicide, of course. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Alan Vega. I saw, yeah, I saw suicide in, in L.A. and God, it must have been seventy-seven. Oh wow. And uh, and then maybe it was seventy-eight. It was on the tour they did opening for the Cars. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, and then I. When I arrived to New York, I, I saw uh, Alan doing his solo shows repeatedly. And in fact, I think I probably became kind of bothersome backstage, <laughs> coming to hanging out with him and stuttering and trying to, you know, just glean something from him. And I, but, you know, I'm sure he said, go away, kid, you bother me. Yeah. After a while, you know. But... <laughs> <laughs> like, like an OG Robinson, uh, go away, kid, you bother me. Was that Groucho Marx? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of influences at the time. Uh, Kraftwerk would have been a huge influence. Um, ah. Brian Eno. Uh, just in that, and then the No New York music that was going on, of course. It was more of influence would have been felt as the permission or the example of making something happen through sound rather than through virtuosic um, command of your instrument. Oh, okay. So it, that's... One reason why I think some of your music sounds so cinematic, it's it's very uh, wide open and it breathes a lot and uh, it's an amazing quality. It's especially in the new album. There's a a lot of music that just it, nothing's it's not rushed. It, you just kind of let it develop by itself, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know, specifically like the title track, "Leaving Meaning." Well, that that song actually has a unusual genesis. Um, I wrote it on acoustic guitar, and it's based on acoustic and acoustic guitar part. But I sent that to my heroes, uh, the Necks. Do you know that group? I've heard of them. I haven't listened to them though. Oh man, you you, you absolutely have to get everything they've ever released and listen oh, to it. They're okay. so good. They are uh, loosely described as a jazz improv experimental group. But oh, cool. really what they do is um, they sit down and 
just start playing. I, I don't believe they ever have a um, prefigured plan of what they're going to play. But they're so intuitively connected with each other that they they craft or they forge or they bring into being these unfolding clouds of sound and it just keeps growing and building and uh, there's just, it's just a trap kit, a double bass and a piano grand piano and just the overtone and the, uh, the sense of uh, kind of a cinematic space that they create and so anyway I, uh, I'm a fan and I sent them that song just on acoustic guitar and a uh, scratch vocal that my wife sang and they orchestrated it played to it and uh, after that, we uh, the, the musicians that I was working with on the album, we further orchestrated it. But they played that song and another song called The Nub. Okay, that that's another very intense song. That's one of the the things that that uh, it, it's really impressive to me. There, it's some of the songs are very intense and heavy without lots of uh, instrumentation. I guess you know it's there. The songs are are. I don't want to say sparse, but it's not overdub after overdub after overdub. Or at least doesn't sound like it is. Well, I'm glad it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't it, tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I won't tell you any track numbers, but it's frightening. Oh my gosh, really? Well, you you, you did it successfully then because it it sounds so. It, it almost sounds like it was like you're saying, like an improv session. It was. It's amazing. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I, there's like songs like "What Is This," which sounds triumphant. It's it's very um, it's very uplifting. It's. Uh, I really enjoyed the the instrumentation on it, and it's. So I'm getting. I don't know. I get a lot of different. Uh, it's like a roller coaster listening to this album. So it's. It's a really satisfying listen. Oh, that's great to hear. You're, you're on. Are you on tour right now? Or are you? You just came back from a tour. No. Yeah, I just came back from a solo tour of Eastern Europe with my good friend Norman Westbrook. Oh, okay. And. Uh, I've read that on the on the I believe in upcoming tours or maybe it was this past one where you you're going to be playing only a handful of tracks from this and some newer unrecorded pieces. Um I'm sorry. So you're saying on the on the coming Swans tour? Yes. If oh I, yeah, well I've gathered uh various people together 
who will be swans in 2020. Okay. Uh, just for just for the period of the touring, um, and those people are Ben Frost, who's a great electronic musician, also a great arranger and player. He's going to play synthesizer, mellotron, and electric guitar. I'll be playing acoustic guitar, electric guitar, and singing. Uh, Christoph Hahn, who has played with me in Swans and my group Angels Flight, will be playing lap steel, loops, and electric guitar. Dana Schechter, who played with me in Angels of Light, uh, will be playing bass, uh, also lap steel, and some loops. And um, Christopher Provdika, who was in the previous incarnation of Swans from 2010 to 2017, will be playing bass also, and uh, will be generating various non-musical sounds, as well as... uh, (laughs) Uh, playing some keyboards, and Phil Paleo, who was another veteran of Swans and Angels of Light, will be playing uh, drums and percussion and little keyboards. Oh, awesome. and we'll be we'll all be sitting chamber style. Oh, cool! And uh, hopefully generating some good sounds. And yes, we'll be playing material from this uh, current album as well as uh, new pieces I hope to compose before we start rehearsing in um, March. And uh, we'll take, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not really interested in replicating the album at all in the songs that we'll be doing. I okay. just want to have the basic song and then see how this group interprets it. And it can go where it goes. And even if it leaves the song behind after a certain point, that'll be fine with me. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's that's I love that kind of stuff. And is will each night be sort of improv on those new compositions, or is it going to be a a basic structure that's set ahead of time? Well, that that needs to be seen. But uh, okay, see the that's fair. This previous incarnation of Swans that lasted from 2010 to 2017, we would have set pieces of music, but then we would take them and similarly to the way I described the next, we just let the music kind of grow and unfold and we would follow it more than play it. And um, that involved improvisation, but not in the sense of soloing or drawing attention to yourself as a musician. It was more about building a sound or that we could lose ourselves in and uh, consequently the audience hopefully as well. But uh, so that's what we'll be doing, taking a basis and then just, finding out where it goes. I don't want to try to replicate the album. To me, that's just kind of like a prison cell. It doesn't really interest me. Ah, okay. Is that why you don't go, you don't play very many of, if any, of your older tracks when you go out on tour? Well, they just feel, to me, they feel like dead meat. Ah, uh, okay. And, you know, I, I don't, I have my own record company and people come to Swans for a certain kind of experience anyway, so it's not like I really need to promote the catalog or worry about the history of it or anything. I'm just more interested in making it occur in the, in the present moment. So, you, yeah, it's not about playing uh, you know, all the hits, so, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, sorry? Play the what? The hits? Playing all the hits, so to speak. Yeah, well, there, there aren't any, so it's okay. <laughs> Well, I uh, I asked a few people uh, on some of the listeners of the show. I mentioned that I was going to have you on, and, and and if they had any questions, and uh, I think some of you, some of your fans would would beg to differ on that. They're, they've definitely got some opinions. In fact, one of the things they said was that there are 
so many albums that fans consider masterpieces. I mean, they threw out like five, four or five albums. Do you do you look upon them like that? You know, uh, albums like like Children of God and all. Of the, do you look at those? Well, I, as, I don't. I don't. I don't really. I don't really look upon them at all. I, okay, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're just detritus. This okay. kind of stuff that's floating in the water after the disaster has happened. So you you uh, really don't you really don't I, worry I, about I don't, like a, I, a swan's legacy then. Well, it's there, or whatever. If people want to discover the music, they can. Right. And I'm happy if they do so. But um, just from the, uh, you know, I have a short time on Earth, so I want to try to do something that is challenging and that kind of reifies me as a human being. And uh, so I'm going to make something happen in the present. This coming tour, I, and, and I've gone back and listened to some interviews that you've done in the past. And you've mentioned that some of the the that the Swan Swords you want them to be an experience for the audience. And you, on the, in the past, you've had you've done things where the audience the audience has been locked into venues and you've played in complete darkness. Um, I think there was well, one was where you, very long time. Ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is an old interview, but is there is there anything uh, that you're going to be doing to enhance the experience on the upcoming tour, or is it just this is you know? Well, no. I mean, to me. I'm not a fan of uh, light shows. In fact, we have none. Uh, I'm not a fan of videos. I'm not a fan of anything that, tra- that detracts from the performance. So the enhancement will be how well we perform and how much it communicates to the audience. So like that there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, from the, the bits that I've seen, it's, you know, it, you don't really... Like you said, a, a light show would detract and all uh, from the show. So, why bother with with something like that when you've got everything you to, need? Why bother with something? Oh, like like what? Like like light lighting and and having a lighting director and doing videos. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like it, it's I, you know, I've, I've been we played a lot of festivals the last ten years, and um, I'm always repulsed by the by all the hoopla and you know fancy gizmos and smoke and flashing lights and it, it just kind of grosses me out <laughs> if you think of uh you know if you look at videos of uh early pink floyd say around umaguma light show was almost nothing they were great yeah and uh or if you look at a great performer like nina simone for instance just sitting at a piano with a light on her that's to me more transforming and powerful than any kind of overblown rock presentation or pop presentation that's very true that's very true I have a question about some of your instruments um, and how you get some of the sounds that you, you've created, especially on the new album, Leaving Meaning. You get some really frightening sounds out of your guitar. Uh, some crazy feedback squalls. And, and, and do you use a That's l- probably not me. That's probably oh, okay. not me. I'm, pr- I'm pretty rudimentary. On this record, I didn't play any electric guitar. Oh, okay. So okay. you're probably thinking, of, oh, you could be, if you name a song, I could tell you, but you're probably thinking of Christoph. Okay, yeah. Christoph Hahn. Specifically, The Hanging Man is, is the one that, that comes to mind.
Oh, well, that has uh, both Christoph playing um, with lap steel, and it has Ben Frost also playing electric guitar, oh. and it has Ben Frost playing synthesizer. And I don't recall if there's any keyboards lolling about in there. I'm not sure there is. Yeah, that song's pretty rudimentary. Do you... So that's that's what I recall on that song. Okay. Well, do you use? Oh yeah, uh, uh, Christopher Pardita is playing some of the aforementioned non-musical sounds that are coming in and out here and now. Oh yeah, that's probably you know? what I'm what I'm oh. thinking of then. Yeah, I think maybe actually maybe Norman does too. Norman Westbrook. but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just trying to build an atmosphere. But oh. as far as yeah, I, on, on that on this record, I played. I don't believe I played it. No, I did play a couple of little things of electric guitar, but mostly it was me playing acoustic guitar with my thumb in the way I do, strumming down with my thumb, which oh. makes it kind of this bassy sounding instrument. Right, right. Oh, okay. Do you use using standard tuning, or do you use any weird tunings on this to get the the? Depth? Not anymore. I did that for a while in the nineties, uh, but it proved to be very problematic live. Uh, uh, having to have several guitars, so I, I stopped. And these days, all the the, the most uh, adventurous tuning I do is just a drop D. Oh, okay. I mean, I have, I have done a drop B. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That's got to be one loose string. Oh, my God. <laughs> Speaking, going, going back to The Hanging Man, it's, the, this, and this whole album specifically, I guess, it it's very much um, cinematic, like I said before, and, and very, it, it's like, to me, it's almost like an audible version of like a, a Degoya painting or Hieronymus Bosch, and it's really a lot different than the things that are being released today, and and I think that's what I love about it, is that the songs are given the chance to breathe and to, and to, to come alive, you know, you're not, you're not like 10 seconds in, the, the chorus doesn't come in, and uh, you know, it's, there's songs like uh, Leaving Meaning and, and, and The Nub where a couple minutes go by before there's any vocals. And it's very much different than what a lot of people will be listening to. And I, it, I'm anxious. I hope you come to my area when you, when you tour with, with Swans because I definitely want to see this played out live. The, you know, the few songs that you are going to play live. But I do want to experience Yeah, it'll be band. a lot different. But, yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. Um, but, uh... All I could say is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, you've had new albums in 2010, 2012, 2014, 16, 19. Is this a, is this a trend that's going to continue? Because there's a huge gap for a while when you just when when Swans disbanded. Do you see this as? Well, a, I was I was making um, I was making records with my group uh, called Angels of Light. Right. Or in the interim. Regrettably, that never really made much of a dent on the public consciousness. But uh, nevertheless, I think they're good records. But um, that's what I was doing in the interim. And I also was releasing records uh, on my label by lots of other people. But eventually, that became financially untenable and uh, unrewarding. So I, at around 2010, I just said, well, the... Uh, the hatch that leads down to hell has just opened until I dive into it and experience complete financial ruin or until I start <laughs> swans again. So I started swans. I think you made the right decision there. Uh, 
like I mentioned before, I threw out a that I was going to have you on, uh, and I had a couple people ask me some questions, and then, and one kind of stuck out to me, and I wanted to ask you this. It's dealing with the really early days of Swans. Uh, somebody mentioned that you had a guitarist, and then she kind of disappeared. Uh, Sue Hannell, and they were wondering yeah, if you disappeared. It's true. I have no idea where she is or what became of her. Wow. I, I tried she, to do... You know, she, she left the group and then see her around town every once in a while. And then eventually we just didn't see her around town anymore. That's... In, that's in, so I don't know what happened to her. I saw... She, the, was, she was amazing. She was... She made this incredible sound. It was just like... I don't know. It sounded like 10 guitars at once. Totally amazing. But then she'd have to, we'd have a groove worked out and she'd play this amazing part. And then the next time we'd go to play the song, what she would play would have absolutely zero to do with what she did before. Oh, jeez. And it was, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's an improvisation is great, but it, it had nothing to do with the feel <laughs> of, of, of the song. So it was, that was a, a problem, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. But, but when she was on, man, she was, she was amazing. I heard a couple... I, once I saw that question pop up, I decided to you know, see if I could find any, any Swans you know, music with her or, or anything she had done after Swans or even before Swans. And I found a couple of weird tracks. And I... I can hear what you're saying as far as you know, ten guitars at once from just from the little bit that I've heard, and it's. I would love to find out what you know if she had done anything else. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what happened to her. Another question was: Are you planning on doing any more writing? Are you going to be releasing any more books? Well, plan is one thing. I mean, I don't even <laughs> have time to to write seriously. I I, I take that. Uh, uh, occupation very serious so just doing it in my spare time occasionally is it doesn't work right. so it, if I have a year to just shut myself off from everything in life then yes probably um, I don't foresee that for in the near future but I, I hope to do it it's uh, kind of what I had envisioned as as I get uh, older and maybe too old to tour what I what I had envisioned and what I would do but uh We'll see. Okay. I know I'm keeping you a little bit late and, and you're outside, so I don't want you to freeze to death. Um, but I, I do have one question about this, just, I guess, your songwriting in general. When you go in and record a Swans album, do you have songs in mind? And are, are they... Pre- oh, do you have yes. I, Okay. Are they reworked well, a lot in the studio? Yeah. I mean, I write the songs and, and then I, I have enough for a record. And maybe a couple more. Sometimes I'll have a couple more, usually not. And then I'll take them um, into the studio with other musicians, and then we start playing them, and they naturally transform. Um, I want them to transform. Um, on this record, they, the basic structure is huge, 
pretty closely to what I had on guitar. And then orchestrations, of course, are a whole different matter. They would give it the cinematic or the kind of visual quality that you might associate with them. But, um, yeah, everything's planned out. And, and I, I write out charts, not charts in a musical sense, but I write out graphs, I guess, okay. of instruments and what to come in where and who's playing where. And then usually as soon as I start playing with other musicians, it kind of just takes on its own feel. <clears throat> and uh, then I follow that and guide that along the way. But oh. the other musicians have great uh, have a great uh, effect on how the, the, the music sounds. They always have. I'm just in this position where I, I, I'm kind of the final arbiter, the kind of person that says, no, this, not that. Right. But uh, I definitely want musicians that uh, express themselves in the music. Otherwise, they would be like studio acts, and that doesn't interest me. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They just be hired guns and, and not a member of Swans. Yeah. So I I always want people to uh, surprise me. And, um, that's the best thing is when I, they do something I didn't expect, and then I incorporate that, of course. And... That sounds like it's what happens live as well, uh, and that one reason I'm dying to come and see you guys live. Do you have any anything set up for a U.S. tour, or is that hopefully in the works, maybe? Oh, yeah, that's uh, about to be announced. Oh, Go wonderful. Ahead. That's fantastic. See, here's the the thing. I was listening to your, your album, and the, the way it sounds so natural and, and intense, it makes me want to do more do more in that vein. Um, I, I went to college for photography and done for, you know, been a a professional photographer for a number of years before I started a family and had to get a quote unquote real job for insurance and everything. And the music is making me want to get more experimental with my photography and, and, and just stretch my own boundaries. So, um, that's great. I, it, I so thank you for that it, and um, hopefully if you come to the Washington D.C. area I can get a chance to see you and maybe bring my camera and, and uh, take some shots of the show oh great thanks Mark thank you so much I'll let you get inside get warmed up and do your next interview alright thanks a lot I really appreciate your interest It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 